might have noticed uh, the reading guide in your bulletin as you came in this morning. Uh, we uh, are hoping that as we go through this Advent season and the focus this Advent will be on the glory of God, that uh, not only on Sunday mornings, but uh, you will think and meditate on it throughout the week. And so uh, you may want to just grab this, put it in your bulletin or in your Bible, and uh, take some time to reflect on these things. Christmas season is such a busy time, and we're uh, encouraging all of us to slow down, to reflect, to think deeply. And so uh, sort of a way to sort of read along with the church as we uh, reflect on God's glory as revealed through the Advent season. So I just want to mention that. Well, I'm guessing in a group this size... And because of where we live, that uh, a fair number of us have never seen the Grand Canyon. Some of us have. I've, I've had a chance to see it a few times. But uh, for those who haven't seen it, those of us who have seen it, we could try to describe it to you. We could give you dimensions and colors and, and things like that to try to describe it. And there's, of course, pictures you can look at, videos, those kind of things. But anyone who has been there would say that all of that description falls short I've actually seen it. It's more vast, grand, and beautiful than any picture or description could ever express. You just sort of have to experience it to get a sense of the glory of the Grand Canyon. Well, this year, as I mentioned, we're focusing on the glory of God. And if it's true that, that words and descriptions fall short of describing something like the Grand Canyon, then certainly words and descriptions will fall short describing something as grand and as infinite and vast as God's glory. We need to have an experience of it to have a comprehension, some kind of comprehension of it. And thankfully, God entered into our world, into our history to give us that experience. At Advent, through the incarnation, Jesus, God becoming man, uh, is an experience of glory. At his birth, the angels cried out, glory to God in the highest. And John says that the word became flesh and he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten son, full of grace and truth. Jesus entering into our history was a profound expression of God's glory. And so this Advent season, we want to look at the glory of God as seen in Jesus's incarnation. And our hope is that that we would all be a little more captivated by the, the, the magnificence of God's glory and a little more motivated to live in light of the glory that is due His name. Now, before we look at the, the couple principles that we're going to look at today, let me just say a couple big picture things about glory. Um, glory is not a specific attribute of God like love or mercy or those kinds of things. It, it actually applies to all of His attributes. It applies to the greatness of His entire nature. And uh, if you read through the Bible, you, you see the, the word glory in there, I mean, hundreds of times. It's used repeatedly of God. In the Old Testament, the word that's translated into our English word glory, the, the original word originally meant, uh, in a literal way, weighty. And, and it shows up and it has a sense at times of honorable, dignity, high position. God is not a, a lightweight in any of these things. In the New Testament, the word that's translated glory has a sense of brightness, splendor, magnificence, fame. And uh, you see those senses as you, as you read through. And so when you read through the Bible, you see glory when the, the law was given, Moses on the, the mountain and the, the fire that came down and the, the cloud. You see it when the, the tabernacle was erected and the ark was brought in and the, the glory of God filled it so that they couldn't even go in because it was just too you know, overwhelming, the experience of God's presence there. Uh, it's what the 
three disciples saw when Jesus was transfigured, and he just turned white, and there's just this brilliance. All of those are expressions of God's glory. And uh, my encouragement would be, as you read through the scriptures, notice it. Notice the, God's, God's glory. And so uh, with that kind of big picture dis- dis- description of glory, I think the place to start as we enter into this Advent season with a sermon series on glory, the first truth I think it's really helpful to understand is that God acts for his own glory. God is always acting for his own glory. Scripture makes it plain that, that God is working his plans. And the ultimate end of the plans that God is working towards is his own glory. God acts for his own glory. In Isaiah chapter 48, um, God says this to his chosen people Israel. It says, For the sake of my name I delay my wrath. And for my praise, I restrain it for you in order not to cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I will act. For how can my name be profaned? And my glory, I will not give to another. Israel had been rebellious. Israel had been, God had disciplined them. He had sent them into captivity and this is a place in, in the book of Isaiah where he's talking about how he's going to do something. He's going to bring them back. But, but he's, he's describing here what he's doing is for his own glory. He says, for, my, for the sake of my name, for my praise, for my own sake I act. My glory I will not give to another. God acts for his own glory, his own greatness, his own brilliance. And we see that all over biblical history. God called Israel. When he called them, is that they might be to the praise of his glory. When he rescued Israel out of slavery in Egypt, it was for his own glory. When he restored Israel from this exile that I talked about there, it was for his own glory. When Jesus was sent into the world, it was for God's glory. When Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected, it was for God's glory. And in his second advent, Jesus will come back and it will be for God's glory. And he tells, Jesus told his followers to live in a way that gives God glory. God acts in history for his own glory, for his own name. And that is a foundational truth that we need to understand. God is always acting for his glory. Now, I think we need to reflect on this carefully because it it could maybe sound a little off that, that God is so interested in his own glory. I mean, when it comes to us, we're always told it's not right to be thinking about ourselves. We should think about other people and, and, and their welfare and their benefit. How is it right then that God himself is so interested in his own glory? Isn't there something kind of off about that? It's a good question. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I like what uh, John Piper says about this. He, he, he says this. He says, God is the one being in the universe for whom self-exaltation is not an act of a needy ego, but an act of infinite giving. The reason God seeks our praise is not because he won't be fully God until he gets it, but that we won't be happy until we give it. This is not arrogance. This is grace. This is not egomania. This is love. I mean, think about it. He's the creator. We're the created. And, and when we keep that relationship right, where God is exalted as the highest thing, in our life, when we put him there, when we give him all the worth and the dignity and the glory that he deserves, and we relate to him like that, things are ordered rightly. 
And that's when our joy is made full. When we choose to put something else in that place, when we lift something else above God, then whatever that thing is, it is something that is created, it is something lesser, and we were never meant to have that thing be the highest thing in our life. And life just doesn't work like God designed it to be. And so when God is seeking that he be the highest thing in our lives, it's for his glory, but it's also for our good because it's then that our joy is made full. It's an act of grace and love in our lives that he acts for his own glory. As I've meditated on that truth this week, God surfaced really one important implication for me, and I share this because I assume that this will be true for many of you as well as for me. See, I easily give intellectual assent to this truth that that everything is about God's glory. I have no trouble believing in my mind that, that I live in a world where it's all about God, that history is theocentric, that God is at the very center of history. He's the hero of the story. And so I affirm that a truth in my mind, but the reality is at times in my heart, and I would never say this, I would never say words like this, but the reality is in my heart sometimes I believe this world is about me. I believe this world's about my comfort and what I think God should be doing for me. And so when difficult things happen, when hard things happen, when things work out differently than I think they should, I can tend to wonder, God, what are you up to? God, what are you doing? And, and I can begin to ask these kind of questions, you know? God, when is this going to be over? When are you going to provide? God, when are you going to change this situation? And when you think about those questions, they are man-centered questions, right? Because they're about me. They're about my comfort. They're about what I want. Do you relate to... Those kind of questions? Are you asking those questions right now in any area? So I was thinking about this. I realized I do ask these kind of questions. And and God sort of impressed upon me that there's a way to ask a God-centered question when it comes to hard things. And uh, maybe I should learn to ask this kind of question. God, how are you working in this situation for your glory? How are you exalting your name in this situation? And I realized this week as I was thinking and praying about that, in a particular difficult area of my life, I have never asked that question. I've asked the when is it over, going to be over question. God, when are you going to change this kind of question? But as I reflected on a God-centered question, I could kind of get my mind around the reality that if I could ask, learn to ask a God-centered question, there's sort of this opening up to God. It sort of reframes how I look at and what am I experiencing. It sort of opens up the reality that, God, you're doing something bigger and greater here than I probably can ever get my mind around for your name, for your glory. And there's something helpful just acknowledging that. Over and over again in biblical history, there's more going on than the person in that history probably ever knew. More going on that God was doing to work out things for his glory. When God showed up and called Abraham away from his home and his family and told him to go out to a place that he didn't know, he didn't know that God was working for his glory. When God allowed Israel to go into captivity and they spent 400 years there, there's no way that they didn't know that God was working for his glory. When God allowed Daniel and his friends to go into that Babylonian captivity, they didn't know that God would use it for his glory. 
when the persecution arose against the early church in Jerusalem and, and the church was spread out to further lands to proclaim God's glory, they didn't know that that persecution would work out for God's own glory. God is working all these things for his glory. God works and continues to work right now in our history for his glory. He's working in your history, your life, your story for his fame, for his renown. I'm not saying that when evil things happen, God's a cause of those things, but I am saying that over all these things, no matter how difficult, God is always working for his glory. And so my encouragement to you, if you're facing something hard right now or in the future when there's something hard or things don't work out the way you thought they should, the way that you thought would be best for you, learn to pray, God, help me understand what you're doing in this situation for your glory. Learn to pray, God, be glorified in this situation. God is always acting for his own glory. Now, at the very heart of God acting for his own glory is what he has done in in salvation history, both Old and New Testament. As we think about salvation history in the Old Testament, it's really centered on God's activity, God's work with the nation of Israel, right? He acted for his glory in their redemption. And uh, we can look at a lot of different passages. It's, it's all over the place. But the book of Isaiah is one in which the, the glory of God in salvation history is really a prominent theme. The start of the book, in the early chapters, it, it really deals with the reality of whether or not Israel would declare God's glory to the nations. He called them to be his servant. They were to be a light to the nations. And so that's sort of part of the a major theme in the early part. Would they do that or would they sort of be seduced by the glory of the nations? And, and we know they were. They were seduced by the glory of the nations. They did not give God the glory. They abandoned him. And so God disciplined them. God sent them into captivity, into exile. But eventually God restored them. God redeemed them for his glory. And so you read in in a place like Isaiah 44, starting in verse 21, God says this. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I have formed you. You are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. So God tells this rebellious nation sent into exile that they are, they're his servant, that he, that he will not forgive them or forget them. He tells them that he wipes out their transgressions. He, he wipes out their sins. He says that he has redeemed them. It's part of Israel's salvation history. And then he goes on in verse 23, and it says, Shout for joy, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout joyfully, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into a shout of joy, you mountains, O forest and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob. And in Israel, he shows forth his glory. What God did in redeeming Israel, what he did in their salvation, calls for the heavens and the earth to praise God's name, to make him great, to to praise him the mountains, the forest, the, every tree is to break into praise because of the greatness of God in what he did in Israel. In Israel, he shows forth his glory. 
And as you go through and, and read to the end of the book of Isaiah, God says that he will use this, a restored remnant of Israel, and he will proclaim his glory to the nations. You see him writing about that in, in, in chapter 66. They were his servant. He would use them to make his, his name famous to the nations. And so God acted in the history of Israel for his own glory. But the greatest display of God's glory in salvation history is what he did in New Testament history and what God did through sending his son to earth. This is what we celebrate at Advent. And so again, we can look at a lot of different uh, passages to see how God is working in New Testament history for his own glory. But I want to read a passage in Ephesians chapter 1 where we see this, this theme uh, expressed, this idea of being to the praise of his glory. And so in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, Paul writes this. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And so it's kind of a summary of what's going to follow. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. These are the things he's going to talk about what God has done in our salvations, in our salvation. He says he's done this in Christ, through what he did through Christ. Verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. And so in Christ, we have been chosen by God to be holy and blameless. Through Christ, we are adopted. All of this, Paul says, is to the praise of his glorious, the glory of his grace. Verse 7, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Now, I know that sometimes we can get tri tripped up on things related to predestination and God's electing, but, but don't miss what Paul is saying here. Don't miss what he's telling us about how God has acted for his glory in our situation. Before the world began, before we had done anything to merit anything from God, God chose us. He predestined us for adoption. He determined that in Christ we would be redeemed, we would be forgiven, we would be given an inheritance. So that, verse 12, to the end, that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. Our salvation completely initiated and carried out by God's own will, is for His glory. It's for His glory. In Christ, what God has done in us, in Christ, is to the praise of His glory. And then he goes on in verse 13. and says, In Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance 
with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. All of this is to the praise of His glory. Now, without a doubt, what God did in saving us, blessing us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place, I mean, it met a huge human need. It met an amazing need in our life. But at the heart of it was God acting for His glory. God works in salvation history for His fame, for His magnificence, for His brilliance. It's all to the praise of His glory. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you are to the praise of His glory. As a believer in Jesus Christ, what He has done in all that He did to bring about your salvation, you are to the praise of His glory. Now, later in this Advent series, Steve's going to talk about, there are, you know, we're told to, to do everything for God's glory. But the point in this passage is simply that you are. You are. What God has done in your life already, you are to the praise of His glory. A couple weeks ago, I was, I was out for a walk uh, late afternoon, and I, I was walking over on uh, uh, Dickens Avenue, close to over by Grace Baptist, and there were these two uh, burning bushes, and it was kind of the peak color for these two bushes, big old bushes, red, and the late afternoon sun was shining on them, and, and they were just like electric. I mean, they were brilliant. It was like they were plugged in. And I actually had to stop for a while and just soak it in. There was a sense of nature was just declaring glory through, through what God has created. But you know, those bushes, they, they weren't having to do something to express glory. They just did. And I think the reality is that when the heavenly hosts, when the angels, when they peer into history and how God has worked in history and they look at what God has done through sending Jesus into this world and accomplishing salvation for you, the angels are looking at you like I was looking at those bushes. This is glorious. This is amazing, God. This is so brilliant what you have done. And it's not really about you. It's about what God has done in saving you and me. Declares His glory. You are to the praise of His glory. Do you still struggle with sin? Of course you do. We all do. Is there brokenness in your life? Of course there is. There's brokenness in all of our lives. And sometimes we can think because of our sin, because of our brokenness, that, that you know, what do I do to glorify God? Um, you know, until I get all this mess figured out, I can't be to the praise of His glory. But this is telling you, you are. God chose you. God adopted you. He redeemed you. He's forgiven you. He's given you this inheritance. None of this is based on your earning it or your deserving it. He just did it. And it displays His glory. It makes Him famous. And the initiation of all of this was the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Jesus being born into our world. And that's what we want to look at this Advent season. Jesus coming to earth, ultimately to die for us. Today we're celebrating uh, communion. And uh, for sure, this is always a great time to do some self-examination, to, to invite God to search you. God, is there sin that I need to confess? Is there any way I need to turn back to you in any way? And so for sure, do that. But let me encourage you also during this time to meditate on the fact, on the truth that right now, because of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, you are to the praise of his glory. Let that truth sink a little deeper in your heart and mind and life, that you might live in light of that truth. You're to the praise of his glory.
At faith, we practice open communion, which means if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've trusted him for salvation, uh, we invite you to join us in this time. This may be your first time here. That's fine. You don't have to be a member. You don't have to be a regular attender. If you're a believer in Jesus, we, we invite you to join with us. We'll serve the bread first, and uh, if you need allergy, gluten-free bread, it's in the center tray. And then we'll serve the juice. We would ask that you'd wait till everyone has served the bread and then the juice, um, and we'll eat and drink together as a symbol of our unity. And so as those who are serving come forward, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this Advent season. What an amazing expression of who you are in your glory. Uh, that you, Jesus, would take on human flesh and be born into our world. What an amazing display of God's glory. We're so grateful that you came into this world, lived a perfect life, and you went to the agonizing death on a cross for us and for our salvation. God, all of that is glorious. As we think and pray and reflect on this today, God, uh, remind us, remind us of the greatness of all of this. Remind us that we are to the praise of your glory. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.